the word shaman or shamanic immediately, people get like a spooky reaction to that. People are very standoffish with that in words like spiritual. Spirituality or shamanism isn't this looming, fetishized experience. It's like where the spirit and humanity meet. A lot of people, they get to this place of, you know, I'm awakened now. How do we get you to feel like that a little bit every single day? It's how to maintain your survival and primal instinct every day. Survival is a game won first in the mind. While practicing primitive fish trapping skills, spiritual advisor Victoria Wickler and I discuss how the lessons of our past might just help us to live a better present. When we discussed practicing some bushcraft techniques, I uh, was hoping we would see some wildlife. Now, I must yeah. admit, the amount of wildlife that we're seeing on this particular one between the larvae and the spiders is not exactly the wildlife I had in mind when I suggested that, but I don't blame you for readjusting your seat over there after we yeah. got to got a look what was on there. I ruined my a little bit. I really, really wanted to sit like high up. The look was good. I'm not going to lie. Thanks. The look was good. Plus, it looks more comfortable. But but it's fine. It's it's okay down here. Yeah. It's okay down here. They're going to harsh my look. Right. Gotcha. I look good for nature, you know what I mean? I like to look good for my mom, too. It's like the same, similar situation, like... I think no matter what my mom sees, she sees an ape. She doesn't <laughs> quite understand. She's like, I just don't get why he does all the, the ice and the whole thing. I this don't know. is my redeeming factor. Yeah. I think right, my right. parents worry about me a lot. When I call my mom from Germany, like, face ten times the size, I'm like, Mom, I just took frog poison. Yeah, yeah. She needs to know that when I come home to her, I'm, like, fresh. See, I give you credit. My mom would worry if I was in an airtight, germ-sealed, completely like impenetrable room. She would still think, oh, something's going to happen there and get him. Did you tell your mom? I give my mom very, very <laughs> censored versions. When I, was, when I got the chance to first guide in the Himalayas, she got wind of it. First thing she did was go out and rent the movie Everest, which is about the famous 1996 disaster where, of course, all the main characters die in horrific ways. Yeah. So she watched that, and then that was it from there. That was a very rough prep in terms of leading up to a, an expedition because yeah. she was just, she'd already made her mind that my fate was sealed at the bottom of a crevasse or like frozen in place at the top of Everest, which we weren't actually even climbing. It was a totally different peak that was significantly shorter, but no matter how many times I explained that to her, she just, so censored versions. Yeah. It's all from a place a of love. Of kidnapping movies and right, mass right. murderings of small Asian <laughs> Right. Somehow a thing. I guess so I gotta come home and I have to look good. I have to be like, Mom, it was worth it. You did a good job. I give a fuck. Right, and right. I, I'm kind of the same way in Mom and Nature. I'm like, hey, you're doing a great job. There's something in all of us that's inherently primitive. Regardless of how many thousands or millions of years each person believes that our species or a version of our species has been on this planet, it's been here for quite some time. Right. That part's undeniable. And it's only been this very short period of time that we've been such a technologically advanced and sort of more individualistic society. We've spent so many, many centuries and millennia and more as, you know, a very primitive animal. And I think that there's something missing at times for a lot of our more modern counterparts. The idea of embrace the animal is the fact that you know, there is this in each one of us. And I think a lot of us fight it down. And I'm not saying, you know, we should all go back to living in caves or romanticize some of the negatives of 
what our ancestors had to endure just to survive. But there is a there is a, a special catharsis and growth in adversity. And there's also a great tranquility to nature no matter how harsh it is. As far as surviving out here in the physical realm, and I know that there's a lot of crossovers between what we do in terms of Definitely. me being a wilderness specialist, teaching people to keep their mental game strong via all these confidence building skills that we have out here, mm -hmm. and you sort of doing so in the, the internal mental and spiritual plane. Right, and it sort of lives in the same place too. Like where does the primitive live in somebody? It doesn't live in, there's an action to the primitive, that's when you follow your intuition and your instincts and you listen like we talked about and then you make an action you use your will to act but then there's like where does primitive come from right so that's where it overlaps because for me people aren't going into a separate place they're kind of fighting themselves they perhaps have been fighting themselves for a long time they're just awakened to the fact that now is the time that i face it um they sort of get to the essence of primitive nature. So I, I guess I wonder when you say primitive, um, what do you, what's your definition of, of primitive for your work, but also what is it? I think it's a broad answer and it, it primitive is a, is more of a blanket statement. It's a connection to our ancestral path in my mind. Okay. Uh, it fascinates me that at one point in order to eat, we figured out how to use everything around us to our advantage without anything remotely like Google, you know, or even an instruction manual. Mm -hmm. And a connection to that and to the, the, the simplicity of an earlier time, I think has a lot of benefits yeah. to our modern counterpart. So I think rather than romanticize the idea of, oh, it was so much better back then, we live in such a unique time that we have all this access to technology and medical resource and communication. We can go back and we can learn more about those older ways and we can cherry pick aspects of it that can actually help us in our modern incarnations. And, and, and we're in such a unique time in that way because we have so much that we can understand about back then and we can actually apply it. Yes. We have the freedom, as particularly our generation and the ones coming forward. We can integrate it, right? which is why I think it is like such a cool sci-fi time to be alive. Also, I think every, <laughs> every millennial has the ability to be a shamanic person. And I say this because some of the oldest, most used basic definition of a spiritual person or leader is somebody who lives in two worlds at once. They have one foot in two doors and they, their body is what's in the middle. We all do this. We're right here, but we're also having an Instagram presence, for instance. That is its own landscape that's developing with us talking right now. Somebody's liking something. Somebody's starting a conversation with you in a parallel dimension, which you'll check back into later. But right now, your essence, like Josh, is in two worlds. And that has the ability to make or break somebody's psyche and spirit. And I think this is where primal action gets lost the shamanic sickness right now is coming through in a whole slew of mental disorders because every person because it's on trend is splitting themselves up into different worlds and they don't know that they're doing it their identity spiritual practitioners try to help you marry the overlap where is what is the 
where's the continuity in all of the world and and where is that in you and most likely it's primal and most likely it's in your ancestral narrative or your psychology um, at least with my work that's that's where it lands when people go to a spiritual place or um, go under an altered state of consciousness they go to the forgotten places that integrate them into all of their worlds and it hurts first but then it's pretty empowering for sure i think you made a great point last night when you when you explained shamanic sickness because like we discussed even the, the word shaman or shamanic immediately people get like a spooky reaction mm -hmm. to that you know they're not sure it's people are very standoffish with that in words like spiritual so when you explain that shamanic sickness was not actually something so mystical but it was a byproduct of the individual's interaction with their current environment that was causing the sickness and thus giving them the opportunity to feel and understand this pain so they in turn could help navigate other people through it. Yes. I think that you make a particularly interesting point with regards to our, you know, not just our generation, but kind of our current incarnation as human beings really needing that. Because though we do have in the most developed parts of the world access to so much technology, riches, medical care, communication. We've also become really, really individualized. And consequently, we also do have the highest correlating suicide rates and, and uh, diseases like cancer and things like that, that, that can stem from stress. Yeah. And I think it's uh, often overlooked how connecting to simpler, more primitive times can help people navigate that. Doing it out here, I think, is a little simpler. People come out into the woods and they get right. sort of drawn into outward distractions that has an internal catharsis yeah. to it, but they don't often realize, you know, they're sort of being guided or navigated by, you know, guides or wilderness specialists or survival instructors to have an experience that they had an idea of and that they're coming to face. Whereas you oftentimes have people having to face themselves and navigate aspects of themselves that they probably don't really want to look at or talk yeah. about. So it's, it's the space in between. It's like, and I do also get a lot of people who have had this huge experience, this like they either took um, a psychedelic, they had a psychedelic awakening or ayahuasca, one of these shamanic um, medicines, which I have a lot of other feelings on. Um, or they went into nature and did a big experience, like something that perhaps you would facilitate. Um, they get to this place of like high inflation where they're like, I fucking did that. I survived. I um, spoke to aliens. I, you know, I'm awakened now. I'm enlightened. And then they go back to work and then they continue their relationship with their partner. And then they have a bad conversation with their parents or and then the presidential debates happen and then they're just from up here to like boom right right and that is where i come in because i think my work and my job is to get people to um it's like where the spirit and humanity meet okay you had this experience maybe you were one with nature um how do we get you to feel like that a little bit every single day so that spirituality or shamanism isn't this looming um, kind of like fetishized experience where it's like only certain people do that stuff or only yogis do that stuff. Right. It's like 
honey, your flesh package holds your spirit. Inherently, if you're taking care of your psyche, which is also invisible, you're taking care of your spirit. It doesn't need to be so weird. It doesn't need to be so dark. Um, it's how to maintain your survival and primal instincts every day into your technological kind of futuristic future. I found the idea of shamanism and more mystical things interesting. But by nature, I'm quite skeptical. You know, I find right. all my answers in the cyclical basics of the outdoors. Yeah. And nature's pretty harsh. Sink or swim, basically, <laughs> you know? Uh, in speaking with you about it, it really, I found it interesting and eye-opening because it's, it's, it's like survival in the way that people think that surviving out here is this crazy big grand thing, whereas a lot of time it's really a series of small, simple steps that you do continuously to yeah. keep yourself alive to get to the next objective. And the way you break it down, I think, really, it certainly made my mind more open to it. And I think it would open a lot of people's to it as well, because you do a very good job of, of navigating the line between what people perceive as, perceive as spooky or mystical. Yeah. Yeah, people definitely... I mean, listen, if anybody watched a session between me and a client, right. it would be like, it'd be like, okay, this makes sense. This makes sense. We're checking in. Sometimes I use tarot cards to like open it up a conversation so people can be like, oh, okay, we're in a spiritual space now, but right, we're right. just having kind of a therapy session. Right. Um, it helps people engage. And then we go to the shamanic work or the altered state work. Then things get pretty crazy. If, they, if I had people standing outside of a session, they would definitely feel spooked. Yeah. Um, it can sometimes looks like, look like an exorcism. It, it gets pretty wild and it can be really shocking. Sometimes it's shocking for me. Um, but then it comes down and then the person who just allowed that process is so liberated in the end. But they also come to like this sort of center balance where they're like, yes, they're surprised, but there's this, I don't know how to explain it so much. There's this knowing in people where they're like, oh, Duh. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Let's keep going. And um, one of my favorite clients was, I'm obviously not going to use his name, but he likes when I talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of my favorite people. And he really taught me a lot about myself and my own um, bias and how they were integrated in my work too. Because he, older, maybe 50 something uh, Republican man, retired, um, showed up to my office at the time with like a Bud Light cap on and, and like not a, typically the type of person that you would think would be seeking out exactly, shamanic assistance exactly. to begin with. And then he, um, he called me voodoo prophet <laughs> and I was like inaccurate, but okay. And like, he had such an attitude. He worked for the department of defense and he was already retired and set. He paid me like months beforehand. He was like, boom, boom, boom. This is what I want. And we did not get along on a fundamental level, but I loved this guy. He was super committed to his process. He had no preconceived bias because he wasn't looking for spiritual work. He just did it once realized it worked somehow and kept going so all of his like constructs of what spiritual work should be um were dissolved before he even got to me which meant that he could drop in and he had one of some of the most 
profound, deep experiences um, that I think a lot of people in the spiritual community are looking for. I think that's the type of experience that we as a nation, maybe even a, a species in our current time, are not just looking for, but desperately need. The idea yeah. of two individuals that can be so different and fundamentally disagree, yes, but can not only find that they can work together, but a mutual respect for how they work together. Yes. It is absolutely possible. I just don't, unfortunately, it's not popular opinion right now. And it's a, certainly something I appreciate about bringing people out here is yeah. that that shit dissolves real quick when you're stuck in a thunderstorm yes. and you got to get a shelter up, you know? Yeah. I'd be curious to hear one of your stories, uh, one of your shamanistic experiences. You talked about Celtic shamanism and about how, I guess you learned a lot about this uh, from, from a Celtic standpoint. Mm -hmm. Any adventures from that particular time frame that you'd care to share? There are so many, and it's always, there have been a very condensed amount of phenomenal and otherworldly experiences, especially in the past five years, um, was when all of this was sort of like active. Like it was just a point of no return that happened, which was like, okay, if you say yes to doing this work, it will just keep coming. Or you could say no and have just an interest and continue your espresso job um, but something will not quite be right so I just kept saying yes the problem with these experiences is like it's, you, can, you can only make words for the invisible so much my first ever experience in um, altered states without the use of a chemical without a drug was in Ireland when I was receiving my shamanic rites. I was 19. I did not go to Ireland thinking that I was going to train to be a shamanic facilitator. Um, but somehow it just had happened. I stayed on a couch of somebody who um, is a very well-known shamanic practitioner in Ireland and her husband um, and she sort of gave me the option she was like you can train with me I see it in you so I went back the it was a long line of ups and downs and crazy things that I didn't know was possible um, and then at the very end it all sort of led into this initiation process everybody goes through this process, this painful process, that basically determines your rite of passage. Um, so for me, in the tradition that I was taught in, it had to do with a vision quest. It was about a few days of fasting, just water, um, on a full moon, and over time you're preparing bringing up a lot of themes about death. So by the time that you go to your vision quest, I mean, I was exhausted. I'd never done anything like this in my life. Um, I was raised in a more or less agnostic family. So I had my skepticism. Um, but you basically, you get to a point of weakness. 
and the objective was to walk into the forest in Wicklow, Ireland, which is like a very, very dense forest, and it's very beautiful. It's very wet. <laughs> and um, you walk and you walk and you walk until you find the place where you want to die. The place where you want to die? Yep. Because of exhaustion, or it just gives you like a you feeling a like, hey, this would be a good like, good place to die. die. And you're like, okay, so this is the place. Also, you're naked. Completely naked. Completely, and it's freezing. It's yeah, I was so gonna cold. say Ireland. That's not a warm place it's for a lot of the year. And um, and you go out to this place where you are, are supposedly going to die, and you dig a grave for yourself. Wow. That's heavy. It is very heavy. I mean, when I say that shamanic experience is all about death and pain, like it's really heavy. <laughs> I mean, until it's I not. see that. Wow. Um, I mean, I know the place I want my ashes cast off of when I die, but I think that's just because I liked it so much when I was alive that I wouldn't mind being there for whatever eternity is. Yeah. <laughs> now, for me, it's like, I mean, that experience opened up so many experiences, which as different as they are in tradition and method um, and substance, they always have the same components, which is what I find fascinating and what I try to carry on with my clients. Um, it's always sort of the same thing, but in my first experience, I, I did, I dug a grave for myself. You go out with a gallon of water and um, a shovel. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. I, I can, mean, I was a girl. Yeah, fair. Too, and I had never done anything like this before. I had never, I mean, how could you? But I can accurately say that I've had some pretty damn intense experiences in my life. I've never dug my own grave, at least not in a literal sense. I've probably come close to digging it a few times without realizing it, but I've managed to make it back out of that hole. Yeah. I think we're about ready to throw our fish on here not to interrupt so anyways we're out in the woods in ireland mm -hmm. we're completely naked we only have a gallon of water and we have and a, and a shovel and we have literally just dug our own grave yeah and i i don't even think i had ever dug a hole that big to be honest with you but it was really it was like a canoe in a way that it could just went slow like this but so much so that Wow. At the deepest point. That's it's a lot of digging, too. Easy, though, because, mind you, it's so wet in Ireland, and the soil in this particular place was all deep, rich, like, black. So there was, like, no rocks in it. It was somehow really easy. Um, and there's, like, a foot of moss over everything. So I guess the hole was maybe this big with, like, hella moss. Okay. <laughs> that still counts in my book. Uh, but it, I don't know how long it took me. It took me a long time. I almost gave up a couple times because I was like, what is this even about? What, I'm going to sit in a hole and like think about death for some time. I remember asking my teacher, like, okay, how long is this realistically going to take? Like, when should I know to come out? And she goes, oh, it, it could be anywhere from an hour that you sit in there to, to 12. Oh no, 24, because I was in there for 12 hours. 
and um, and I didn't understand. I was really like, okay, <laughs> and um, but it really, it really was like this. Like I sat in the gray. It's starting to rain, so this deep black soil is now a pool, right? So try to imagine this. I'm sitting in like my grave and the water starts filling and it's opaque black. And I'm looking at myself and I'm also covered in it and it's just rising and I'm shivering. And then I get really thirsty because I'm starving too. Really thirsty. So I reach up to grab the gallon of water that I just had right right on the ledge like right here and I, I couldn't move my body it was just like <laughs> it was just this from like, exhaustion or no <laughs> it, it was just the it was like a cosmic weight that I had never felt before ever and um, I remember starting to panic actually and starting to breathe in this way where I wasn't even crying I was just in a state of shock and I started to breathe like, and I couldn't slow it down and I remember having the conscious decision you know what I should just keep breathing like this and then everything just went dark it was like um, blackness I did. I went on a vision quest. Suddenly nothing was physical. I lost track of where I was, uh, why I was there. The hunger went away. The emptiness became me. Um, and it was painful. I mean, and there was definitely aspects of it that were very deeply psychological psychologically painful um, memories that came up and this sort of aided it aided in the visions that I was seeing um, which were pretty profound for somebody who one she didn't she didn't tell me what to expect right she wasn't like oh this is how it is for me she goes sit in a grave for maybe 12 hours <laughs> which as it is like somebody says that to you i would be like uh-huh like what <laughs> well and my thought is i'll just sit here and meditate about death right right because there was part of me too which doubted her which was like okay lady um but then my whole world was changed around like that i came back afterwards i snapped out of it it's like it was just released me and all of a sudden everything was back it was cold again. Got out of the grave, chugged the water. I was just like... I believe that. Chugged the water, probably spilled half of it, walked back. You didn't want to drink the opaque water, I guess, huh? Yeah, exactly. That's like, a, that's, <laughs> so you have good survival instincts right there. That's a pretty golden rule. And it, it, it was still pouring when I came back to, like, into the world. Right, right. And, um, so by the time that I got to where she was, which was removed down this hill, like playing a drum forever, um, 
I was like flushed pink somehow. And it was like full oh, wow. of mineral, so I was like, I felt like a baby. And I was like, how long was I gone for? It felt like a couple of hours. And she was like, this is incredible. <laughs> Just put like a lambskin like around me and like laid me next to the fire, gave me a cup of tea, and I looked at the clock and I was like, it's 12 hours. 12 hours. Wow. I just remember, like, crying. <laughs> Time flies, I guess, when you're digging your own grave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ever since then, it has been experience after experience like this. It's amazing to me how many different cultures have mimicked this somehow through instinct to get people somewhere. Right, right. Um, like how many different vision quests there are around the world. Yeah, and the more of them I do, I feel like the less I have any clue. Yeah, yeah. And certainly the correlation with nature makes sense. It always seems like people are going out into the forest or into a deeper part of nature to have these kind of experiences. Or I mean, I... the forest to them through these entheogenic drugs. Right. Right, right. I, uh... You have plenty of experiences when you spend enough time, you know, pursuing adventure sports and objectives and so on and so forth, where you do a lot of thinking about your own demise. Definitely been on mountaineering trips where we had very close calls that we might not have come home from. And Ever been on an adventure where you hit a point where you were like, why though? <laughs> why do I do this? Oh, yeah, all why the time. Any of the big ones always have that moment where you're like, yeah. Why uh, the hell am I here? Yeah. But that's part of it. Adversity has the effect of eliciting talents that in prosperous circumstances would have lain dormant. Mm -hmm. And I think especially in our modern age, I mean, so much of the world is now mapped and explored, right? The modern day explorer doesn't have the same role or really need as far as society that they did in the, you know, the golden age of exploration when Shackleton was trying to reach the South Pole and sure. Percy Fawcett was mapping massive swaths of the South American continent and the jungles that nobody ever had touched before. So I think a lot of what draws more and more people to the outdoors and adventure as a whole, and I guess the risk or that, that sort of why the hell am I here suffering through this factor is that there's that internal primitive urge to seek those things. And because they're less and less found in modern day based on, you know, our comforts and our conveniences and our safety and our technology, we seek them outwardly. Yeah. And I certainly think in the case of modern day adventurers, since we're not bringing back maps of parts of the globe that no one's ever set foot on anymore, I think that maybe our next evolution is to bring back roadmaps of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like internal understanding yeah. of what these experiences in the outdoor have taught us that we can maybe bring back that others can take from and learn from. So maybe not wholly unlike what you do in terms of helping people navigate yeah. themselves. It's, it, through all of the different experiences, there has always been a moment where pain, suffering, sorrow, whatever, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, existential, there's a switch that happens. It's like at the brink of fear there's this change at least for me yeah it it's slows not... down for me yeah when shit hits the fan and i'm like oh wow this is it i'm about to die 
there's that burst of fear and then everything just kind of goes when you're yes. like you see clearly it yeah opens yeah and, and there's this um ease this is my favorite place i couldn't live there forever otherwise <laughs> just like my clients i told you about like if you would live there forever you could just die yeah but um, but I'm so interested in all of the different ways that we reach these places. I think this is our most human thing. Yeah. We have shut off in a lot of ways because we're afraid of the pain. But just on that other side is this beautiful opportunity for all of the positive, for love, for um, seeing clearer, bigger outside of yourself. Um, I have absolutely had that experience with every big spiritual or shamanic experience I've had. This uh, frog poison, there was definitely a moment of that. Going through a bloody pilgrimage barefoot in Ireland, that was another one. It was like walking on shale for miles and miles and miles, feet just trailing blood. Um, because it was like a, a spiritual pilgrimage that you do in the footsteps of St. Patrick and all of this, and they did it. Every breath work that I've had received, there's this component of, I don't know if I want to live anymore, <laughs> this is so painful, and then this like, surrender. Sounds familiar. <laughs> I can't necessarily equate all of my experiences to precisely yours but the universal thread to it is exactly that and especially going back to the question you you asked in terms of do you ever have a why the hell am I here moment for sure and that is oftentimes one of the moments that's most heavily reflected on like consciously when you're that deep in the suck you you hate it but oftentimes it's a reflection on that low point when you look back and realize that you pushed through it that's where the catharsis comes from, for sure. And that's life-changing. That's totally life-changing. I think that we're ready. And the one thing that I absolutely never, ever leave out of my survival kit. Knives are handy. There's a lot of great things. But individual hot sauce packets... (laughs) Pocketed in excess from ShopRite. They go a long way in We Are Caught Fish. Swag, sir. Damn. So let's find a plate that's not covered with fish guts. Let's sample our hard-earned dinner while we still got some light. Nothing like a little bit of hot sauce. Really, truthfully... What doesn't hot sauce solve? We'll have to do this again sometime. Perhaps I'll come and explore your end of things. I'll help you dig your grave. Yeah, well, according to my parents, I'm pretty good at nearly doing that already myself, so I should be a quick study there.